This is What Book Hooked You. I'm Brock Shelley, and thanks for listening. On this episode, I'm excited to have best-selling author Matt De La Pena, who is the author of several YA and picture books. He won the Newbery Award for his book, Last Stop on Market Street, a few years back. So we get into uh, how he got into writing, what it was like to win the Newbery Medal, and kind of the after effects of that, and obviously his latest release, Superman Dawnbreaker. So listen in. So Matt, what book hooked you? Well, I think uh, the first one I have to mention is The House on Mango Street. Um, I remember opening that book and thinking it was going to be like all the others that I tried to read when I was young. But, you know, I read the first vignette and I just was like, okay, wait a second, this is different. This feels, <clears throat> this feels uh, in a weird way like home. Mm. Um, even though she was writing about Chicago and I was living in San Diego, I don't know, the community felt similar and it felt, I don't know, it felt like a special invitation mm. that I, like this book was for me. Gotcha. And when, uh, when were you in life uh, when you first read this book? The first time I read it, um, I was a, I think I was a sophomore in high school and it was part of the curriculum. And, you know, for the most part, the curriculum was kind of, you know, the canon and sure. most of the canon didn't really speak to me. So I, that's why I didn't expect much out of it, but it was different. This, this one was different. And did you, were you much of a reader growing up, uh, you know, before, uh, sophomore English class, uh, were you just sort of reading books or at least acting like you've read books that were assigned to you, or were you kind of an independent reader growing up? You know, I was doing my best with the books assigned to me. I would usually read enough of the book sure. to where I could pass the test or do the essay, but I definitely was a reluctant reader. Uh -huh. um, I never read outside of the curriculum. The only books I can remember reading outside the curriculum were, you know, a few comic books, sure. uh, a book about Larry Bird, <laughs> a biography. So I would say by the time I graduated high school, I probably had only completed five books, mm. which is a pretty crazy thing to, you know, admit as a writer now. No, absolutely. Sure. And so when did... Uh, your love for books and for writing uh, really start to grow? So I think most writers, they come to writing via reading. And for me, it was the opposite. I actually came to reading from writing. So all through high school, even though I wasn't a reader, I was writing spoken word style poetry. Mm -hmm. um, I loved kind of just the rhythms of that kind of poetry. Um, I loved what I could do with almost making music with, you know, the, the placement of the consonants, the different sounds, but, oh, and also I was writing, you know, I was writing to try to figure things out. Like mm -hmm. what did it mean to live so close to the border? How come I was wealth? I was considered wealthy when I would go to Mexico, but then in San Diego, I was considered poor. Mm -hmm. Um, I wrote about, you know, being a mixed-race kid. 
but I, I just didn't really find books that spoke to me. So it was almost like I was writing the stories I wanted to read sure. until I read the Hustle Mango Street. And the funny thing about reluctant readers is they're also super loyal readers. Hmm. So I probably read that book like 15 times in high school. And then when I got to college, I was introduced to The Color Purple. And it was that book that really set me down kind of a trail of different books. I think at the at first I was like, wow, I think, you know, Alice Walker, she's really good. I'm going to read all her stuff. And then somehow I discovered that she really loved Their Eyes When We're Watching God, so I read that. And then somehow I jumped to Toni Morrison and Ruth Foreman. And so I was reading a lot of African-American female authors. And then, you know, when you're an avid reader like that, you start making jumps from one trail to a, to another. Sure. And I kind of discovered Lat Latinx writers. And that was when, you know, I was never going to turn back. And then, so with starting out with poetry then in your own writing, or just, you know, writing uh, more for yourself, uh, but as you grew into and falling down these rabbit holes of books, when did it kind of come into your head that uh, being an author might be something you wanted to pursue? Well, I always knew I was going to write. Um, I just didn't know I could do it for a job. So I always was like, well... You know, I, I'm starting to to like long poems, so maybe I should try a short story. And then I was writing a lot of those, and then I thought, well, maybe I could maybe I should write a book because my short stories are like 50 pages long. And it wasn't until I had some professors do something, you know, incredibly nice for me when I was an undergrad. Because I went, I went to college on a basketball scholarship, so I viewed myself as kind of a basketball player who wrote. But they collected all the creative writing I had done in my classes, and they applied me to graduate programs in creative writing to get my MFA without me even knowing. And they applied me to five schools. I got into two. And then they said, well, if you want to do this, you're going to have to do the administrative part. And I was like, okay. So I think that was the first moment where, you know, somebody believes in you and says, sure. hey, you could you could pursue this. And then when I got to graduate school, I'll be honest, I still didn't think it was something I could do for a living, probably until I read Drown by Juno Diaz, because I think that was the first time I was like, wait a second, they publish books like this? Because that was kind of the the voice I was using, kind of a gritty street voice. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't think that was kind of publishable. I thought it was just, well, you know, this is a, what I do for me. Sure. But then, you know, Here Drown was a big book, and I was like, okay, wait a second. I wonder if I could publish a book. And so what were your stories and things? What were they typically centered on? What types of stories, whether in genre or just subject matter? So I thought I was writing adult literary fiction, um, but I was really young. And so by nature, I was kind of writing about the coming of age story. All my characters were 22 or younger. All of my stories were really centered on identity. 
you know, I think one of the biggest things I was exploring is, you know, I grew up with a Mexican dad and a white mom, but my mom didn't really have any family. Everybody was gone. So it was just my dad's family, the Mexican side, but yet I didn't feel as Mexican as, you know, my cousins Mm -hmm. who were, they, they just felt like more authentically Mexican than me. So I think a lot of the things I was writing about is my guilt about not being Mexican enough. Um, you know, being the first in my family to go to college and, and the guilt associated with that, mm-hmm. you know, feeling like a sellout for succeeding things like that. Um, I was really kind of writing to try to figure out who I was and what all this meant. And so was it hard for you, uh, you know, going to college and then graduate school, uh, given sort of where you came from, uh, the fact that you were, you know, focusing on writing, was there, a, you said, mentioned guilt was, was part of it that you felt maybe that writing, uh, you know, you should be in the sciences or the engineering, but that it seemed like writing wasn't, what's the word I want to look for? Wasn't, you know, held at the same level as those maybe other pursuits. You know, actually not really, because I think, I think I had exceeded my expectation or my parents and family expectations just by getting to college. So that gave me the freedom when I was there to pursue whatever I kind of like wanted to do based on my interests. Um, then I went to graduate school for creative writing. It never even crossed my mind that there might be better uses of my time and and money because that was the first time I had to pay for school. Mm-hmm. But I, I will tell you, I mean, I remember I would be hanging out with some of the grad students and they were very ambitious, you know. I remember one guy, he wanted to be part of a think tank. Another person wanted to write, you know, best-selling novels. And I remember thinking, man, I just want to write books and be a busboy. So I just didn't have huge ambitions. I just was like, I feel lucky to be here. Like, this is beyond my expectations. I'm actually going to get a master's degree in writing. All I was doing in grad school is reading books and writing and playing pickup basketball just to, you know, stay in shape. That's it. That's all I did. And so your first book uh, was Ball Don't Lie. And you mentioned how you were, when you first started writing, you thought you were writing, you know, literary fiction, fiction that was aimed towards adults. So at what point did it kind of, you come to the realization or was sort of told you that you are writing uh, for the YA category? Yeah, this is fascinating because to me, I think I was coming in on the very... I don't know, the very beginning of the YA explosion. So a lot of people sort of fit um, my path, which which I'll describe now, which is I was just writing coming-of-age stories, which I viewed as adult literary fiction. And, you know, you didn't even think about it. You just were like, well, this is what everybody's doing in my program. And what happens is sometimes the market tells you who you are and what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Because I, 
you know, I was writing a lot of short stories that ended up kind of feeding my second novel, Mexican White Boy. So they were very much about being mixed, growing up by the border. Um, and I was writing all these stories in San Diego where there was people who, you know, really knew San Diego and really knew the border culture. So it was really cool because it was speaking to us. Um, and I should also say one of my favorite parts about being in grad school graduate schools, I would realize, I was like, you know what? I used to have this strange feeling of, you know, am I distancing myself from my family by going to college and then grad school? And then I had this epiphany. I was like, well, I'm going to write for us. So I didn't feel like I ever wanted to write for, you know, people slash kids growing up in wealthy neighborhoods or even middle-class suburban neighborhoods, I just sure. want to write for us, meaning, you know, people in working-class communities. So that was actually a big moment for me because I was like, oh, now I know what my mission is as a writer. And I always tell people, you should never go into a book with a message, but you should always have a point of view. Mm. And that's my point of view is I want to write about working class communities. So anyways, so I was writing all these short stories, but then my last year of grad school, I started a new short story that ended up becoming Ball Don't Lie. After graduate school, I moved to Los Angeles, so I decided to set the book in LA because I was living in Venice Beach. And I finished the book, looked up agents, ended up hooking up with one agent who ultimately sold the book and I remember the day he called me I was I was in Westwood walking around looking for a place to get a haircut and he called me and he said hey you know two publishers are interested in purchasing your book one of them is is a, an adult publisher and one of them is a YA publisher and I was like who's offering the most money and he said, the YA publisher. And I was like, done. That's the one. And then he said, just so you know, this will be released as a young adult title. And I was like, that's great. That's fantastic. And then I had to go home and Google what <laughs> YA was because I had never heard of it. Sure. And I think a lot of us were like that back then. Sure. This is like 2003. And, you know, looking back now, I was writing YA all along. I just didn't know what YA was. But I've always been really drawn to that coming-of-age story, you know, especially kids who are kind of like trying to break free from this machismo culture mm. that, you know, is prevalent in working-class communities, especially Mexican-American communities. So I think that's what was fascinating me as a writer, and it, it was a perfect fit for YA. And so then, you know, you've released several YA books since then, and then you kind of got into uh, picture books, which I can see a, a definite parallel when you uh, were mentioning about uh, your love of poetry and that's some of your early writing. But how did it really happen that you uh, started uh, getting interested in and writing children's books? Yeah. Well, first of all, you, you hit the nail on the head. It goes back to the poetry that I was writing because a lot of people say, is it a weird adjustment or a difficult adjustment to go from 
why it's a picture book and really it's like going home mm. um this is the kind of writing i was always doing it's just uh i had no idea you could you could you know funnel it into a picture book for this tr- transition um professionally though i have to really kind of give all the credit pretty much 100% of the credit to my agent at the time his name is Stephen Malk um he actually he contacted me at one point, you know, I'd sold a few YA books with him and he said, Hey, would you ever do a, a picture book? And I remember thinking, Oh no, that's probably not me. I'm not real interested in that. If anything, I'm going to do an adult novel. Hmm. And he goes, okay, okay. And then he contacted me again a couple of months later. and I was like, you know, I pulled out a couple parts of ball don't lie to just kind of run by a couple publishers, you know, could this, voice right here, this poetic sensibility, could this work for a picture book? And there are a few people who are interested. And I was like, oh, you know, not really. I'm not really interested. I've got all these ways I want to write. So then he kind of like didn't think about it. And then Kadir Nelson, who I really admired as an artist, um, he had a book about Joe Lewis that he was under contract to, to both write and illustrate but he didn't want to write it because of time constraints. So my agent, who is also his agent, um, he said, well, there's this opportunity to do do a book about boxing, Joe Lewis, um, and you'd get to work with Kadir. And I was like, done. I'm going to try to do this. So I, I really worked hard on that manuscript, and Kadir you know, wanted to work with it. So I think that was the first time I ever you know, tried to actually write a picture book. Hmm. And then fast forward a little bit, a couple years, and Steve said, hey, you know, there's this brand new illustrator um, I'm signing. His name's Christian Robinson. I think you'd really like his art. And so I looked up his blog, and I was really blown away. It just was different. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to try to write a picture book for him. And originally, last up on Market Street, the idea kind of was more something I wanted to explore in a YA book, this idea of like mm-hmm. seeing the world, um, seeing what you have instead of what you're taught that you should want. But then I saw his art and I was like, oh, this is an opportunity to do it as a picture book. So that's how last up on Market Street came about. That's great. And do you find... You know, so that last stop on Mark Street, of course, won the Newberry um, Medal. And so do you kind of f- reflect on, you know, your career so far? And, and you started off with the mindset that you were going to write these adult literary novels. And then you're winning the award uh, for children's <laughs> book. And do you kind of look at just how far those two might be from each other and in, in, from an industry sense and just kind of marvel at it? Yeah. You, you know what? You realize is you you can't spend too much time trying to plan mm-hmm. your your path in art. I think you just you write the stories you want to write and you let the industry tell you who you are. You know, it's in a weird way you go back to that Eminem song of like I am whoever you say I am. Um cuz I think you just you you just write what you what moves you 
And then readers, editors, publishers, they will kind of like direct you in a, in a direction that makes sense. I, I think also I'm acutely aware that awards are very subjective. Mm. I also know that they're as much about historical context as they are quality, you know, like last couple market street came out in a moment in time where there, there's 12 librarians, 13 librarians who, you know, are thinking about diversity and, and you know, like an award is a political statement. Mm. And so you can never, um, control that part of your career and if you waste time worrying about that, you are really on the wrong track. I think one of the things I'm really trying to do as a writer is to try to really focus on shedding the ego mm-hmm. and really just trying to tell humble stories that move me. And some of them may come out and do nothing. And one of them may come out and do well, but you have no control of that. So I think one of the things I I think about a lot now is that your book is merely a tool for conversation. You know, it could be a conversation between a child and a parent. could be a conversation between a teenager and his teacher. Um, But... Really, you're, we're just making tools and, and hopefully well-crafted tools. And then, you know, the world will do with your tools what they will. That's great. And that's a great outlook, to, especially with, you know, getting that attention that you got. So I'm wondering, did that something that uh, you were a perspective that you were sort of gifted uh, right from the beginning? Or did you kind of have to uh, learn that? Uh, with all the excitement and attention that uh, first surround you uh, with winning the award? I think it's both. So first of all, um, like I said, I never thought I would even sell one book. Mm-hmm. So once I sold a book, I was just, I had exceeded my wildest expectations when I saw my book in the bookstore, my first book. So I was like, wow, I can't believe me, just an ordinary average person, um, I actually wrote a book that's in a bookstore. This is amazing. So there's that, you know, so I always kind of felt like I was just fortunate to be at the table. But then after last stop, you know, I will admit that you sort of get swept up and you're mm-hmm. like, whoa, this is overwhelming. And I remember, I think I kind of hit rock bottom. Um, Cause sometimes, you know, I always say the worst thing that could happen to you is achieving your goal. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. when you have the goal in place and you haven't achieved it and you're, you're working toward it, it's the best, most beautiful place to be. But when you achieve a goal, um, and by the way, this was never a goal for me, but it Mm -hmm. you know, you could say it's kind of a goal to, to find notoriety. Um, all of a sudden you're like, well, what do I do now? Like now my goal has been taken away. So you have to like recalibrate everything. And I remember after last stop, 
I was writing another picture book, which ended up being a book called Love. And I remember I wrote one line and I was like, working so hard on this one line. And I, tr I tried to get it right for, for like three straight hours. I took a walk around the park. I tried everything to get this line right. And at one point I remember actually saying this line in my head, is this a Newberry worthy picture book line? And that's when I was like, okay, I'm messing up. You know, like something has gone wrong. This isn't who I am. So I have to like sh try to really work hard to shed even that, you know, that surface pressure that I had just imposed on myself. So I think it was both. Like I've always kind of just felt lucky to be here. But then I also experienced that moment where I was like, wait, maybe I'm trying to live up to something that doesn't exist. Hmm. So I, you had success with picture books, uh, and you're, and so you kind of go back to YA now a little bit uh, with uh, a book uh, that's part of the DC Icon series, uh, Superman Dawnbreaker. So when this project kind of came to you, how did you go about approaching something as huge as uh, Superman? Yeah, th this was like such a surprising development and I got to work with, you know, three just incredible YA authors who have such massive fan bases. And then, you know, you're, you're working with a iconic, you know, character in American literary history. So I was like, Oh, this is overwhelming. And, you know, I thought to myself, okay, there's, there's a lot of pressure here because I, I was really initially worried about, you know, big uh, superhero historical buffs, you know, like sure. people who mm -hmm. knew the canon and I was so worried about disappointing them. But then after a while I thought, you know, all I can do is write what I can write they've asked me for a reason. So I have to just kind of like, I have to be true to what I want to do with this story. And so that's when I was like, okay, well, what interests me about Superman? And the, the thing that kind of came to the forefront right away was this idea that Superman's the ultimate immigrant. And so I said, well, what if I use, you know, a Superman novel as a kind of a subversive way to talk about immigration in America. Um, so that, that was my approach. And of course it's a superhero novel. There's lots of excitement and adventure and, you know, danger and trying to save the world. But underneath it is kind of an exploration of immigration in America today. Hmm. That's great. And so once you kind of find that angle and kind of go into that, do you then sort of, because this is intellectual property uh, that you're being tasked to write, do you kind of have to bounce the ideas and the outlines and, and kind of uh, have a, a check on some of the facts uh, with the people at DC? Absolutely. So we all, all four of us had to write a very detailed um, synopsis, which was kind of a foreign thing for me. Cause usually mm. I kind of just, I discover the story as I move forward, but in this case, you had to write a very detailed synopsis with plot beats, with kind of a, an arc, an overall arc for the story. But 
in this case, it was very good as well because, you know, what if you go down a road that doesn't work for DC and Random House? Mm-hmm. So they, of course, approved the story before I started working on the um, first draft. So thankfully, they were on board and they thought, you know, this could be a good opportunity for you to, to tell that version of Superman. That's great. And so do you like, uh, is there a little bit of freedom in being tied to a character that isn't your own in that there's some sort of structure you have, you have to kind of color within the lines. Does that in some way, uh, help you grow as a writer in that you can kind of focus on things uh, differently than if you were coming up with everything. It's definitely different and it's definitely freeing in some ways. I think the coolest part is I've always used this line about poetry, but that sometimes the rhyme is smarter than the poet. Mm. So in other words, when you are trying to like find that rhyme, it sometimes makes you, it pushes you in a direction you never would have thought of before. And I think having a character that's, you know, an intellectual property of DC and kind of knowing the history of it and researching Superman, it did. It made me really um, consider things that I never would have thought of on my own if I was writing, you know, a standalone. So I really liked that part of it. I also thought, okay, well, what Superman am I going to write? Because I think, you know, not to pass any judgment, but some of the recent Superman exploration, it's like we're trying to make Superman darker Mm. to kind of like appeal to fans of Batman or something. And I think one of the decisions I made early on is I said, you know what, I'm just going to embrace who he is and make him kind of pure um, you know, maybe his biggest power is that he always tries to do good and make the right decision and not hurt people. So I think um, that was really cool because I'd never written a character like that. I'm so used to writing, you know, massively flawed characters. And this was really fun to kind of like take on a character who, who tries to do good Um I, I would say it awoke parts of me as a writer that I didn't know I could, I could, mm. I, I had. Mm-hmm. So that was fun. Interesting. Now, one of the uh, kind of byproducts of the success and just the longevity of your career is that you get to do uh, a lot of school visits, interact uh, with young people and readers. So what are those situations like and what do you really come away uh, from those school visits or interactions that you have? Yeah, it's funny because I'm talking to you from Boston right now okay. and I just visited a school in, you know, kind of the suburbs of Boston. I'm going to another one tomorrow and then I'll be at Harvard the next day. And it's very fun because I always interact with different communities differently so when i go to a working class community i tell you know insider jokes Mm -hmm. you know we understand each other in this way i'm one of you you know this is how it was for me these are the kind of books i write i'm writing about you when i go to a private school like i did today 
I do a totally different talk. You know, I talk about the freedom of growing up without money and without expectation. And it's really fun to sort of look at these kids who have so much pressure to go to the best college, whereas it was a shock to my family that I even went to college. Mm. And so I just think I try to embrace my job, which is to present to them something to consider that they had never considered before. So if I go to, you know, a Title I school, wow, college changed my life. Like all of these opportunities I discovered because I went to college. And so I really, really lean in on college. If I go to a private school, there's a lot of pressure. I lean in on the freedom of pursuing what you love as opposed to what others want you to love. So, you know, I really kind of mix it up. But the best part is I just love meeting with students all around the country, seeing how they're similar Mm -hmm. and how they're different. And I love telling stories from a visit in Ohio when I'm in Brooklyn, New York. And, you know, California, I like to tell them stories about, um, you know, Texas. It's just so fun to kind of share things that I've learned from other schools with schools that have never even considered anything about those communities. That's great. And so you're closing in on, well, I think it is right around 15 years that, that you've been publishing books. And you kind of mentioned at the beginning that, you know, when you start out, you know, YA wasn't of course, what it is today. So what has it been like that as you have uh, progressed as a writer, kind of seen how YA has grown as well? Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's really cool to watch diversity kind of like get a foothold in, in the industry. I think you, if you look at the bestseller list right now in YA, so much of it is dominated by diverse stories, you know, and and that's really thrilling to see. Um, I think for me as a writer, what, you know, being in this world for 15 years, I'm starting to go, gosh, if I could write anything right now, I would do middle grade. Mm -hmm. So, you know, because to me, that's kind of a new frontier. It it just feels fresh. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm reading a lot of middle grade because I have a daughter who's going into kindergarten. So I read to her a lot. And some of the books I read, I'm just blown away by what you can do in middle grade. So I just love our industry because we have, I think we're in a golden age of picture books. Mm -hmm. The middle grade I'm reading just blows me away. I just can't believe what you can do with the younger protagonist in a novel. And then, I'm just so happy to see diversity get a foothold in the YA community. So it's just a very fun time to be doing children's books. That's great. So we're going to wind down here, and there's questions I ask uh, every writer. So I'll ask you, the first one is, what is your favorite movie that's based on a book? Ooh. Um, Before Night Falls, um, based on a – gosh, I can't remember the writer's name, but – it's about a Cuban writer, so I'd say Before Night Falls. Okay. And then, is there a book or a series that you're willing to admit that you've either never read or never finished? 
Oh no! Are you <laughs> you're going to force me to admit the worst possible thing? I'm ready. I've never read Harry Potter. Now I'll tell you this, man. Are you mad? Are you angry? No, I'm. Well, I'm going to blow your mind maybe here, and that's the most popular answer to this question in the 125 episodes that I've done. There's a big segment of YA writers that are ashamed that they've never read Harry Potter until they realize just how many of them there are. So You know what, though? At the, at the end of the day, we're losers. <laughs> I mean, this is the, Harry Potter is the reason we're here. I, well, yeah, you, you probably have a point, but... I'll give you a caveat, though. Okay. Um, I'm saving those books. We have the complete set, you know, beautiful, sure. still in the cellophane um, box set of them. And I'm saving them for my daughter when she turns eight. Right. And I, so, you know, and I have a 10 or a 12 year old and that's pretty much when I hadn't read them until, you know, they were around that age. So was it I, a good experience? Cause I heard it's amazing to read them with a, with a child. It is. And we, and we also got in, did uh, the audiobook version for a few of them just because, you know, oh, those cool, are so yeah. well done. Uh, so, but yeah, they definitely, you'll get more out of it. They'll get more out of it. So, yeah, you definitely have something to look forward. I'm excited about that. That's going to be super fun. And then finally, last question. What is the last great book that you've read? Ooh, okay, okay. This is exciting. Do I have your blessing to go kind of wherever I want on this Sure, absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so there's one book I read over and over and over. I've read it like 15 times now. So I have to mention this one. It's called Sutri by Cormac McCarthy. Okay. To me, it's it's like the best book I've ever read. Nobody I've ever recommended it to likes it, so I don't recommend it to <laughs> any of you, you or your listeners. But so I have to say that book first. I just read. Um, okay, hopefully I'm getting the title right. It's the newest Katie Camillo novel. It's called like Louisiana's Way Home. I read that with my daughter. And I just fell in love with it. She's she's one of the best writers out there, but that book is really special. Um, and then I read a book, a picture book, called Julian is a Mermaid, that um, I wish I could give to every elementary school in this country, um, kind of about gender identity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'd say those those stand out. And then if I could add one nonfiction, I recently read Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson, kind of about people who have been wrongly accused. And it's the saddest, saddest, beautifully written book I've, I've read in a long time. Just Mercy. Great. So, Matt, I just want to thank you so much uh, for taking the time out. Uh, newest book is Superman's Dawnbreaker, but I encourage everyone to check out your picture books, your YA books. uh, And I look forward to see uh, what you have for us in the future. Thank you so much for talking to me. And that does it for this episode. I want to really thank Matt Dalepena for joining me. His newest one is Superman Dawnbreaker from the DC Icons series. But if you want to check out any of his other books or any of the books that he mentioned, you can check it out down there in the show notes. And if you're new to the podcast, I hope you'll check out some of the other great conversations I have with YA authors. I'm Brock Shelley, and until next time, keep reading.